1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week 16, dare I say Christmas edition of A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Daugherty, joined as always by Denny Carter. Going to take a spin through the week's biggest headlines, including the Bucks injury apocalypse, Duke Johnson's random revival for one of the top two running back performances of week 15, and A.J. Brown's potential return for the Titans. We will then take a look at defenses that have become either more run or pass funnel over the past month with an eye towards what that might mean for the final two weeks of the fantasy season. But, Denny, first, uh, yeah, I don't know if people have been following, how closely they've been following along on Twitter, but you and your wife are currently together, and she hasn't (laughs) left you recently. And I was just wondering how the marriage is doing with football being played uh, literally every single day of the week. Not just every day of the week, every hour of every day of the week.
2: Right. No, it's good. It's good for a marriage, I think, to have NFL football on all the time. (laughs) Um, I, I mean, she, she was actually like disoriented, uh, last night when, uh, I I felt like we lived on the West coast, you know, we're watching, we have not, we're watching, but we have Raiders Browns on in the background while we're making dinner for the kids. And she's like, what, what's on right now? I said, uh, it's Raiders Browns. She goes, why? (laughs) She she said, "Why isn't that later? I said, no, there's another game later. She said, oh, okay. I said, well, there's a game tomorrow. There are two games tomorrow. She said, no, tomorrow's Tuesday. I said, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, if, for someone who doesn't follow the league or follow sports, it is very disorienting.
1: Come on, she didn't see the Fox cry on, on the Browns-Raiders game, so she didn't immediately know it wasn't Monday Night Football. I mean, come on.
2: I know. I, you, you would think that she would, she would notice something that blatant. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it's it's disorienting for me as well. Uh, I, I, I feel like last year, as, as weird as that was, um, we have gotten weirder this year.
1: We have. Oh, well, I've definitely been getting flashbacked to last year. And by the way, you should have what you should have told your wife when the game's on, you know, at like 5 p.m. is that that's when you do the big surprise that you have transported the entire family home and family to the West Coast without her knowing. <laughs> she woke up and the house was just in California. That's right. In San Fernando Valley. And that's where you live now. Merry Christmas, honey. We have left Maryland. We can't have. That whatever that spices that everyone talks about anymore.
2: Well, we can't uh, have old Bay, but you know what we would have? We would have uh, raging fires and earthquakes. So that that's you, you know that's what you have going for you in California. You
1: know what? A trivia fact. Well, it's not really a trivia fact. The people don't know is that the New Madrid Fault, which is in southern Missouri near Arkansas and Tennessee, some actually consider it a more dangerous fault than the San Andreas. No fault.
2: way and a more really?
1: dangerous. Yeah, one of the worst earthquakes in American history was in 1811, 1812, a series of three massive earthquakes on the New New Madrid fault. We recently had a minor earthquake and my whole life it's been like a storyline in St. Louis like when's the next big one? Really? cuz it supposedly is like a ticking time bomb.
2: All right, and, all um, right. Yeah, well, and it's closer
1: yeah. it's closer to the surface? I think I'm not a geologist so I can't really describe this well but I believe the fault is like shallower or something. And so when, when the earthquake happens, it, it can be like a less severe earthquake, like only, quote unquote, like a, a 6.0 on the Richter scale, which is a fairly large earthquake. But it may be felt like from much further distances, farther distances mm-hmm. than one in California would because of like the depth of the fault. So when there's earthquakes on this new Madrid fault, they actually feel it like on the, you would probably actually maybe feel it in Maryland. And it like like reverberates through like the entire continent. So, really, yeah, I've been raised kind of like people were in the Cold War era, like raised with like nuclear fear in Missouri. You're kind of raised your whole life with an earthquake fear, uh, especially yeah. because when I was a kid, someone guy, some crazy guy predicted the exact day there was going to be an earthquake. Wow and uh, wow. like there was a big panic it was really dumb
2: he he currently has a sub stack and he's he's making seven hundred thousand dollars a month <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> predicting the next earthquake um,
1: far too real um far too real but yeah look up the new madrid uh fall or new madrid seismic zone whatever the wikipedia is called
2: yeah i, I, I appreciate you bringing earthquake analytics to the show yeah you know, and there were some
1: people denny some people say that the earthquakes we experience now in Missouri are still just aftershocks from the no. 1811 earthquake. Come on, and that, yeah, and that the fault could be shutting down, but it's not the opinion of like the U.S. earthquake. I think it's called the NGS. I forget what it's called. Wow. Is that now that it's still an active fault and the big one? Hashtag the big one. The, is the coming key is- at some
2: point. The key is to leave, live on the East Coast. I think that's the key here.
1: Yeah, yeah that is the key. Uh, <laughs> uh, no weather problems there. And yeah, so it's like a race between California and Missouri and Arkansas and Tennessee to see who could have like the devastating earthquake first.
2: Well, yeah. I, uh, I'm i rooting for you not to get yeah. that.
1: And by, by the way, you guys want a crazy Wikipedia out there. Look up the Cascadia subduction zone. That's, the, that's the one up in Washington and Oregon. And I think that is maybe actually the most dangerous fault in America where it produces like 9.0 style earthquakes and like massive tsunamis. There was a big New Yorker article on it a few years ago. It's really fascinating, but
2: I'll uh, check that out. Yeah,
1: earthquakes. They're, uh, they're scary. And Jenny, we got an earthquake on Sunday night when the Tampa Bay <laughs> bucks had about as bad of a Sunday as possible, where they watched Chris Godwin tear his ACL yep. for losing Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette to hamstring injuries. You know, this being America, they do have Antonio Brown returning from his three-game suspension for producing a fake coronavirus vaccine card. Still one of the more absurd scandals I've ever heard in my life. But, Denny, what can we expect from this Bucks offense these final two weeks with Godwin out for sure, Evans and Fournette probably out Sunday. You know, they're day-to-day, seemingly on the wrong side of questionable for Week 16. Got Antonio Brown coming back, and Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, Cameron mm-hmm. Brait fighting for scraps. What is our outlook on this Bucks offense for the final two weeks of the fantasy playoffs?
2: I think you, you hit on it there. The, uh, the, the tertiary, tertiary guys are going to be fighting for the scraps. And I think that we're going to see a very uh, um, focused. What am I, what am I trying? What word am I going for here? A uh, very uh, narrow, 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 very yeah. narrow,
1: concentrated target tree,
2: target tree, uh, anything but focused. Um, uh, between Gronk and uh, Antonio Brown, if mike evans is out and it sounds like he should miss at least one game maybe two so uh you know if you have and if you've if you've stashed antonio brown for all these weeks if you have gronk and you and you got through his injury issues i think they could have blow up uh, end of the season runs here and as for the rest of the guys i, I don't i don't really see like the Scotty Millers, the Tyler Johnson. I, although if I had to choose one, it would be Tyler Johnson, who would be third in the pass-catching uh, pecking order there in Tampa.
1: Yeah, Tyler Johnson seems to have moved ahead of Scotty Miller, but I, I may be a little more optimistic, quote-unquote, as much as you can be on those kind of guys. Because, you know, it's not just the receivers. I mean, Leonard Fournette, as we know, has been flirting with the league lead and running back receptions. And, like, losing Chris Godwin and losing Leonard Fournette like Tom Brady kind of lost his two favorite checkdown targets there, yeah. not not to Chris Godwin, it's just a checkdown target. Not trying to say he's that kind of receiver, but lost like his two most secure options over the middle of the field. If you don't want to consider Gronk part of that, it's like the downfield seam stretcher, and that you know Rojo, Ronald Jones is not an amazing pass catcher as we know, and that I feel like each of Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, and Cameron Bray mm-hmm. might kind of like a three catch floor it's just really a matter of who's going to pop off for six or seven and become actually relevant. Right. And it is really difficult to diagnose that. And you're kind of just flying blind and guessing.
2: Right. Well, I, the reason I, I mentioned Tyler Johnson as my preference is because uh, he was actually running routes in three wide receiver sets before the Evans injury and before the Godwin injury, he ended up on uh, against the saints with 50 pass routes to Scotty Miller's 40. Now that's still solid, you know, Scotty Miller getting 40, um, with those injuries happening during the game, uh, I, I think that uh, you know Miller is is like a way more, and I'm sure you'll agree, way more volatile option, uh, downfield option probably for for Tom Brady. I think you know from a real football sense, the Bucks' season probably ended last week. It's
1: you know it's Tom Brady, and like I feel like we're gonna get some like witch voodoo or something going on here. By the way, we just engaged in Rashad Perriman erasure. Because uh, he was, but he did not play week 18 because he's on the COVID 19 list. He'll probably be back for week 16, and he could definitely play, do like some sort of vague impression of Mike Evans down the field. Yeah, it could maybe be like a Marquez Valdez Scantling, Deshaun Jackson type option this week, where has a zero point floor, but can maybe flip a matchup as a wide receiver four or five if he scores a long touchdown. So yeah, we 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 would be remiss not to mention Brashad Perriman.
2: Yeah, I, I would expect him if he's 100 percent coming off the COVID list this week. I would expect him to run ahead of Scotty Miller uh, in that offense. Uh, also, we we've seen this movie before. We've seen uh, Bashad Perryman become a fantasy playoff league winner. He's one of those happening? guys. Yeah, I feel like it's happened several times. Yeah. <laughs> so so he's back. He's in. He's uh, he's honestly. And I'm I'm sorry. I totally forgot that he was on the COVID list. But you know, he's in a great spot to do that. So um, wow. Yeah.
1: He's the kind of guy, how did he go an entire year? Like, how did he spend so much time unsigned? Because he's clearly still just a very, very good deep threat. I, and- I don't
2: know. I mean, you know, and on that game winning overtime catch he had a couple weeks ago, like he pulled away from all the defenders, like very easily. I I, I was wondering the same thing. Nobody, nobody could use this guy. Like. Like the Lions, Uh, he was
1: he was on the Lions. Yeah, he was. It's the classic like he doesn't have a well-rounded skill set, but his one skill set is still like game-changing. And you know, teams don't want one-dimensional players, but when you're so good at that one dimension, you should probably have the one-dimensional wide receiver. And there's so many bad receiver cores too. There were so many different teams he could have helped out. Pretty insane. He was unsigned. Uh, Real quickly on AB, I mean, he hasn't played since week six. But in his three of six games for going three and three of six games for going down, he cleared 90 yards. Uh, seemed to be kind of looking like the same A B. We have no idea. That was one high ankle sprain and one, you know, coronavirus snafu ago. But I mean, Tom Brady just he just loves the man. Uh yeah. Tom Brady really, really likes Antonio Brown. And even with the long layoff, even with all the moving parts, even with the tough matchup. I mean, the Panthers are good pass defense it's gonna be really hard I, I might honestly almost have Antonio Brown ranked as a wide receiver one this week I might just go for it and rank him as a wide receiver one
2: so when I was uh writing up a blurb the other day I I, th- I thought about like what what to call Antonio Brown for this coming week you know since we know Godwin is done uh since we are pretty sure Evans is not going to play and you know I'm, I'm looking at the receivers that I would play over him and I'm thinking there are not 12 guys here that I would play over him. So yeah, I agree. And like that part of the board this week is just
1: weird at wide receiver, by the way, like low end wide receiver, one high end wide receiver, two or not, excuse me, more like wide receiver, two, like this is beginning at wide receiver 11. What I have, I have my initial ranks full disclosure. I have Antonio Brown, wide receiver 10. That feels maybe kind of insane, but this is just real quick going through 11 through 24. Brandon Cooks, Steph Diggs, D.K. Metcalf, Jalen Waddle, A.J. Brown, Mike Williams, Marquise Brown, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, D.J. Moore, Tara McLaurin, Hunter Infro, Christian Kurt, Devontae Parker. So you kind of see A.J. Green, Brandon yeah. Ayuk, Darnell Mooney. You kind of see what we're dealing with. We're like receiver is not looking very deep for these final two weeks of the season. And a lot of guys who could have big days, who could even have wide receiver one day's, but there's just not nearly as much floor and wide receiver two right now as there usually is. And it feels like we're flying a lot more blind than we should be with 15 games of of data under our belt.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh, But but, you know, the, the bucks are one of the few teams left in this very high T run heavy NFL. We have this season uh, that will throw it pretty much no matter what, Uh, you know, they have the highest pass rate in the league um we've seen them not salt away games when they can uh, via the run they keep passing and with you know so many vacated targets from these from these injuries uh i know we've we've talked about players who are too big to fail i would honestly say that that both gronk and brown seem too big to fail at this point
1: they kind of do and real quick are we are we prepared to get hurt by ronald jones
2: Yes, I'm I am fully prepared. I I lie down on the altar of Ronald Jones and I am vulnerable and I say (laughs) uh, let it happen because, you know, they have no choice. They have no choice here. Bruce Arians still clearly hates to play Ronald Jones. He probably doesn't hate him as a person, but man, he he might he could. He could. But Arians (laughs) despises Ronald Jones as a player. He was almost snarling during his press conference when they were asking him about Ronald Jones. Horrified. and and it's because you know he missed a he missed a blitz um, in week four of 2019. Yeah. You know, and 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 was and and a, a preseason and, and right and in a practice and for and Blaine
1: Gabber, it wasn't even for Brady
2: and and Leonard Fournette has luckily for him never made a mistake which is which is <laughs> yeah. awesome that's a hustle awesome for Leonard Fournette um, Jones is better. Than fournette in that he is well come I mean, on
1: he, i know you're probably he's a he's a better pure I, runner it, he, he's it, a he's a better he, pass catcher uh, i don't
2: know about he's that. a better, he's better at everything Look, leonard fournette is you know great guy super bowl he's landing, a psy-op. but my goodness there there are he could oh man what am i trying to say here there are 25 backup running backs who could do exactly what Leonard Fournette has done in that Tampa oh, offense.
1: That seems a bit
2: extreme.
1: I mean, uh, I don't think Ronald Jones uh, had in his bag of tricks leading running backs and receptions. Not that Leonard Fournette has been kind of like shoehorned into this pass catching role. Yes. He's not a great pass catcher, but I think he is a better pass catcher than Ronald Jones. I think well that that's why
2: they brought in they brought in Gio Bernard specifically yeah, your boy. Fournette. Was Fournette was so bad uh, at at, at pat, catching the passes, and uh, but hey, you know what? Uh, the process on that one didn't work out, and I and I do know that firsthand. Anyway, R- Ronald, they have no choice because, as much as the team despises Ronald Jones, they they despise uh, Keyshawn Vaughn even more.
1: I was gonna say that's the really good news for Ronald Jones that uh, for as mistake prone as Rojo is, Keyshawn Vaughn is like infinitely they, worse.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, they they w- they would sign. A- uh, and and give Le'Veon Bell thirty carries before they gave Keyshawn Vaughn <laughs> one carry. Like that, that might actually happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's in that's in the uh, range of outcomes, I, I, I believe it. And uh, d- you saw Brady rolling his eyes after Keyshawn Vaughn dropped another pass. Pretty bad drop. Uh, um, but you know, and he had many of those last year. So, and that's what he's supposed to do best. He's supposed to be a pass catching back. He's terrible anyway. So yeah, Ronald Jones is the only game in town unfortunately for Bruce Arians, but fortunately for fantasy managers,
1: fortunately for fantasy managers. I don't know if this next one is fortunate or unfortunate, but Duke Johnson came back into our lives on Sunday with the performance of a lifetime posting the first 20 carry the first hundred yard rushing and first two rushing touchdown efforts of his entire career. It was the best of dolphins running back has looked all season. It was against a really, really, really bad New York jets defense, but Good players have big days against bad defenses. That's what Duke Johnson did. Miles Gaskin did remain in the rotation, though, Denny. And now the Saints' stout run defense is on tap for week 16. Can we really hit on 17 with Duke Johnson as a flex for the fantasy semifinals? Or is this one we should just like bag as a memory, consider it a beautiful moment in time, and just thank the football gods that they gave us this one Duke Johnson
2: moment? even though nobody benefited from yeah,
1: it. Yeah, sure. No, literally no one benefited. And A lot of people, in fact, did quite the opposite and had their I'm souls sure,
2: broken. But I'm sure somebody, you know, many people listening to this podcast said, "Hey, I I had him in my lineup." I don't know about <laughs> you. Look, they had him uh, on their dynasty teams for 6 years. <laughs> you you are you, uh, hitting on 19, I think. Oh, you know, not, not 17 and <laughs> and um and, and it's because, you know, one of the many Dolphins offensive coordinators said today uh, that Miles Gaskin will still be in will, will be involved there will be a competition uh, in the backfield, which, you know sinks the value or sinks the floor at least of both Gaskin and and Duke Johnson unless we get information later this week that the Miami offensive coordinators and Brian Flores want to you know have Duke Johnson as their lead back. I mean, you know from a from an anecdotal standpoint, has Miles Gaskin ever looked as good as as Duke Johnson did against no, the Jets? No, ever. I mean, no, no,
1: especially not as a runner. No,
2: right. So uh, you know, and and that and that's a possibility as well. You know, Gaskin could take on the third down role, pass catching stuff, while Duke Johnson serves as is the more traditional primary uh, a ball carrier, which would be fine, I think. Um, the the Dolphins are underdogs uh, against the Saints in New Orleans. I'm not. I'm not sure how likely it is they're going to see the kind of game script that would lead to a ton of carries for anybody. Um, but yeah, I, I think that at best he's like a, a Duke Johnson would be like a flex in a 14-team league. Is that fair? That sounds
1: about right. And by the way, I was the audience couldn't hear me laughing. I was laughing, but I was muted when you referenced the Dolphins' many offensive coordinators. <laughs> they do have about eight I don't, too many play callers. But that is the thing with Duke Johnson. So the career typecast is a third down back. I actually do think he probably will be the primary early down back this week because Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, Malcolm Brown, none of them – I know it was the Jets, but none of those three have looked anywhere close to the way Duke Johnson looked on early downs on Sunday where he was running angry. He was converting goal line carries. We all knew he could do this. He led the University of Miami. He's the career receiving – or excuse me, rushing yardage leader. Like He's a very, very good Mm -hmm. early down running back who just got typecast and didn't get that chance. But – This week, like you said, they're underdogs on the road. The Saints permit the second fewest running back fantasy points. Mm. Jalen Waddell is back, who we know functions as like an extension of the Dolphins' running attack. He's going to get a lot of targets. Miles Gaskin is going to be better conditioned. He was activated two days before the game last weekend after being on the COVID list. And even if Duke Johnson is the primary early-down runner, yeah, it's pretty unclear what that even gets you this week. And despite – it Looking like if this had happened in like week five or six, this is something you'd be pretty excited about, but time is so short now. The week 16 setup is not a good place to chase points with Duke Johnson. And yeah, 14 team flex. That feels about right. So Duke Johnson, there is a path to value. Like it's, it's not like a, a laughably absurd path to fantasy value, even in like 12 team leagues this week. It's just not the most likely outcome.
2: That's a good point about the matchup, by the way. Uh, Saints are really tough against the run on the season, they've given up the lowest success rate against the rush by a good margin, like the lowest in the whole league. so they're 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 tough against the run. yeah, so
1: just just cherish the moment with Duke Johnson. Don't try to it's like the classic like you can't go home again. Don't try to, like relive this day <laughs> the next day. It's yeah, that's a good point. It's not going to work out. Gabriel Davis had one of the best afternoons by a Bills wide receiver all year in week 15 with his five catch, 85 yard, two touchdown performance. We've known all season this is what he's capable of after he forced his way onto the field as a fourth-round rookie last season. But for whatever reason, they've been featuring Emmanuel Sanders over him. Now Emmanuel Sanders could be back for week six, for week 16, while Gabriel Davis must deal with the Patriots' elite pass defense. The Patriots allow the second fewest wide receiver fantasy points kind of like with Duke Johnson, Denny, is this a situation where we can really chase these points or do we just kind of have to consider we, people were unlike Duke Johnson, people were on Gabriel Davis in week 15. He's right. kind of like, like take the money and run on Gabriel Davis. Or is there some argument to be made to, to feature him again in week 16?
2: Yeah. Well, I, one thing I want to make clear, I got a lot of stuff on Twitter, uh, on Sunday about, uh, you know, me being an Emmanuel Sanders true through the summer and you were liking him over. And that had everything to do with the way Bill's coaches talked about Sanders as like a key part. He runs the right routes that we're looking for. He provides leadership, all this stuff <laughs> I, I don't really care about. But if, <laughs> but if, if, that, if that's going to lead to him playing, you know, playing more snaps and running more routes than Davis, so be it. You got you go with
1: that guy. And you uh, were right. I mean, the process definitely was right. Yeah. there.
2: Uh, but but I never thought that Sanders that that thirty five year old Emmanuel Sanders is better was better than Gabriel Davis. That's not that's not the case. It's still not. We we saw how uh, how good and how productive Gabriel Davis can be as a starting receiver in the Bills' offense. Uh, I, I don't see a scenario where Buffalo says, "Okay, all right, Manny Sanders is good to go." Gabe, thanks thanks for the uh, work. You can uh, take a seat. I don't see that happening. I, I think that he's. He's clearly like a key part of their offense especially their red zone offense. We we talked on the Thursday show last week about uh how much uh, you know red zone and inside the 10 uh targets how many targets he's he's received as a part-time player. And that continued this week and he cashed in for two. He's not going to score every week, but the fact that he has that role makes him incredibly valuable in the pass-heavy Buffalo deep, uh, offense.
1: Yeah, it's true. He is Really valuable on the boundary. He's a proven playmaker on the boundary, and he's a proven playmaker in the red zone. And those two things can really offset like a lack of compiling Patriots. There's such a bad matchup, and I agree with you that like I think the Bills, you know, they're a pretty savvy coaching staff, despite having kind of a rough year, like taking a lot of heat. A lot of it is you know not knowing how to adjust to these two high safeties, even though it's like one of the most common coverages uh, there is in football. But I could see them still if Emmanuel Sanders is ready for week 16, kind of maybe giving it one last go with Emmanuel. Cause this is like the biggest game of the year for the bills. It's a must win. Yeah. It's like a game, you know, the Patriots, you have to just out execute them. The bills didn't come close to doing that two weeks. You know, I can maybe see one more game, like veteran deference for Emmanuel Sanders. Who's definitely still better at execution than Gabriel Davis is. Gabriel Davis is kind of mistake prone. Occasionally I could, I could see that, but I I just don't even, we haven't even really seen evidence that Emmanuel Sanders is going to play this week. Yeah. And if Gabriel Davis does play despite the matchup being so poor, like you can't treat him as like a wide receiver three, which he might've been this week in a better matchup, but you can absolutely treat him as a big play wide receiver four with pretty decent touchdown odds.
2: Yeah. Right. We, you know, Sanders is probably still another week away. Um, And if you, it's it's hard, it's hard for me to like fully commit to Bill's pass catchers as like great plays this week because uh, we'll talk about run funnel defenses in a moment. But the Patriots are now the league's most extreme run funnel.
1: Yeah, their run defense is it's not just that their pass defense is so good either. Their run defense is kind of legitimately bad, actually.
2: And I, I'm not that doesn't matter nearly as much against the Bills, who are, are not built to run the ball. I, you know, I don't want to get too far off course here, but it probably means good things for Devin Singletary, um, and um, but I think that Gabriel Davis is still like a viable low end wide receiver too.
1: I think it just means good things for the Patriots because the Bills don't match yeah, up right. with the Pat's weaknesses. No. And if we we're we, are we gonna get another just Pat's clowning like yet another like the Patriots is getting away with it yet again? Denny, is that kind of what we're building up towards? Uh, I don't weekend? know. Are,
2: uh, I don't know what to say after the the Patriots lost to the Colts. I, I I'm still I'm still a little bit stunned by that. Maybe I'm under I guess I'm underestimating the Colts. By a I level. think it is more
1: kind of Colts underestimation as much as there's Patriots overrating going on. The Colts have by almost any measure been an elite team the past two months, and it was a it was a road game for the Patriots. They got off to a really bad start, yeah. which is uncharacteristic for the Patriots. The game was closer after the Pats got you know it's a really really poor start. On Saturday night, but it was a little bit of both of kind of us knowing that like, the Patriots' point differential wasn't all it appeared to be, that it has come against bad teams. And of course, it's like a good thing if you get a lofty point differential from destroying bad teams. That's not like we can really hold that against the pads, Right. We knew they were maybe a little bit overrated, and the Colts maybe a little underrated. Although it's hard to properly rate the Colts because they're pretty much a top to bottom. Extremely good football team, except for with their quarterback becoming more and more of a liability. And Carson Wentz is—he's getting worse, not better, as
2: the season wears on. Apparently, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't
1: matter anyway. So I don't know where I'm even going with that. But the Bills, yeah. if you're listening, you know I'm into. By the way, like Bill Belichick getting the last laugh—I think it's a pretty hilarious storyline, just to be honest. But I do—we need the Buffalo Bills to win on Sunday. We need so Bills, if you're listening. Please do. Uh, Please win. Averaging seven targets since week four, Amon Ross St. Brown has now caught at least eight passes in three straight games. He's the wide receiver 18 by average PPR points over the past three weeks, Denny. Now he would be facing a Falcons defense permitting the fourth most wide receiver fantasy points. But the caveat that Jared Goff is day to day on the COVID-19 list is St. Brown looking like a viable wide receiver too for the fantasy semifinals.
2: I I didn't believe it for some reason. Headed into week fifteen, and then I covered the Cardinals Lions game, and uh, it turns out I was wrong. As as Saint Brown commanded a target share of forty three percent.
1: My God,
2: against the Cardinals, <laughs> I mean, just a just a target hog in the middle of the field. This has this has everything to do with TJ Hawkinson being out for the year with the thumb injury. Um, the Lions tight ends, it, whoever they are, they're not really running routes. Like they like. oh you're
1: saying they're not real people because they're also not real people.
2: But they're, but they're computer generated, of course. But the, <laughs> you know, Saint Brown is 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 taking all the, the former Hawkinson looks from Jared Goff, and we know how much Jared Goff uh, has a passion for checking down. So I think it, his role is pretty solidified there in the Detroit offense.
1: Yeah, it's not. I guess I do forget that caveat that it's no T.J. Hawkinson. It's not really a caveat since T.J. Hawkinson's not coming back. But the caveat of DeAndre Swift, it was turning into like a Kenny Galladay, like Joe Mixon 2020 type situation who were just week to week for months. Yeah. And it's starting to kind of seem like DeAndre Swift is not going to come back this year. So if DeAndre Swift comes back this weekend, that, that will be a problem for Monra St. Brown. But I think kind of like the other narrative I'm clinging to here is that it also has to do with Josh Reynolds arriving. And just like finally offering some semblance of a threat on the outside, like at least a receiver, the defenses like have to cover like creating a little more space over the middle of the field for a Ra. So yeah, I would say the only real va- variable for a Monra on week 16 is if De- Deandre Swift comes back, but even if Deandre Swift comes back, I think you're looking at at least five to six receptions for a And yeah, seven to eight. I d- I just don't think, I don't think that's point chasing at this point with Amonra. It's just, what they need. He's drawn at least 11 targets in three straight games. And that's, that's just what he is in this offense right now.
2: And and Reynolds has been fine too. You know, Re- has, Reynolds, yes. Reynolds is not vacuuming up targets uh, like, like St. Brown, but you know, as a, as a more downfield type threat for Jared Goff, there, there is something there for Reynolds as well.
1: He was a surprisingly important addition. I mean, it's, it's silly. Like talk about important additions for a team <laughs> with two victories,
2: but I, I have uh, to say just as a side note on the lions, The fact that they have grinded out near victories all season, challenging teams that have way more talent, that are just way better overall than them. Uh, The fact that they've been super aggressive on fourth downs, on red zone opportunities, that speaks very highly of Dan Campbell and his approach he he wants to win, and you can't say that about a lot of coaches. Joe Judge eh, doesn't really doesn't really care. If, if he if he cared, if he cared, he would operate differently, right? Um, but but you know, uh, Dan Campbell is our analytics king, and I respect him.
1: Yeah, and look at Denny lo- loving a football guy like Dan Campbell, who is actually kind of doing some down low analytics. I think maybe we're getting the best of both worlds with Dan Campbell. We debated over the summer, like, is this a bit like is he just? Cause there was evidence yeah, that he was yeah. maybe kind of playing a part right. a little bit, but it appears to be a little bit of both where he really is just kind of that way. So to speak, quote unquote, that way, whatever that way is, you just, uh-huh. whatever the Dan Campbell way is like, it's not an act, but it is also, there is more than meets the eye there.
2: Basically. Yeah. It, it's a WWE thing where in front of the cameras, uh, you know, he's body slamming people through the table and, and, and talking and making grown men run through brick walls. Right. But but uh, in in the background, you know, in, in his spare time, uh, he has that spreadsheet pulled up, and he is pouring over data. Trust me on this.
1: Well, yeah, he he's always he's got I think a pair of cheater glasses, so you yeah. know that he is oh, pouring yeah. over data.
2: Oh, he he's and a he's a low key uh, uh, data nerd. I I'm I'm sure of it. Low key
1: data nerd who I think I think drinks what a 60 oh. ounces of coffee a day, or is it, no. it 120 ounces of coffee i more, think
2: more than that it was i think it was more than uh the uh, late hugo chavez <laughs> who, who also drank an absurd amount of coffee but oh my gosh. but can't yeah campbell campbell drinks so much coffee that i think one of the beat writers for detroit or someone in, in nfl media tried to to drink his <laughs> the, the amount of coffee that he drinks and like almost had a, a medical emergency i think
1: I, I, you might have to Google this if you're listening. I think maybe it was three 44-ounce coffees oh a day, God. which I actually don't even know if that is medically possible. I think you might just keel over and die. <laughs> I mean, you might as well be drinking Four Loco if you're drinking three 40-ounce coffees. But he drinks a lot of coffee is the point. It does. Yeah, more than a more – so you know, the phrase, he can drink you under the table – well, Dan Campbell probably can drink you under the table with alcohol as well, but oh yeah, he's he's drinking you <laughs> under the table with coffee. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. not together, because you'll be so dehydrated, Dan.
2: Yeah, you got to yeah. drink. You got to drink some water, Dan. But yeah, you got to look at when you got to crush the coffee when you have to stay up late looking at da- at, at data, looking <laughs> at really this, this is clear. It all it all lines up. It all adds
1: up. Yeah, he's not crushing coffee like lift weights. Yeah, it's to no. to go over the data. So, yeah. Dan Campbell, down low, analytics nerd. In his second game back from injured reserve, Julio Jones sustained at least the third setback from a hamstring issue he first suffered in week three. He's all but certain to miss Thursday night's game against the 49ers. Meanwhile, A.J. Brown has been cleared to resume practicing from his chest injury. Denny, we don't know Brown's status on this short week. Maybe leaning towards playing, but is it safe to say we're kind of at the end of the NFL line for Julio Jones, who... Future Hall of Famer, who's made only 17 appearances over the past two years, and just all of a sudden, he's always he was always on the brink of being a guy who was hurt a lot. He would miss like two or three games a year, yeah. but he always found a way to get through it and post his elite numbers at the end of the year. And now it's just back to back years where that has not happened. And are we? Are we is it too early to like bury a guy who is as good as Julio Jones? Or is this just kind of the end?
2: it feels an awful lot like the end uh, you know he'll be 33 in february and a different kind of receiver at 33 it would would still i think be viable would would be hard to count out but you know big wide receivers these massive alpha receivers they they don't excuse me excuse me dog excuse my dog they they don't age well and we saw that with like brandon marshall like brandon marshall was elite and then he wasn't and it it just it fell off a cliff for him. Uh, that that's kind of reminds me of of what's happening with Julio.
1: You're just so big, and not just so big, but so physical always. And it does. The, the only reason I have like a little trepidation is people talents like Julio Jones. You know, it's not it's never just because of their size. Because there's a lot of guys with Julio Jones' size. Like normally, like they make it as far because like they're the best at preparing. They're just like the smartest. So I wouldn't be shocked if maybe Julio Jones had like one more adjustment in his bag of tricks. But he, I mean, this is just bleak. When you, when you go an entire season and your hamstring, you know, which is like kind of like the canary in a coal mine for a football player is like your hamstring basically. And when you go an entire year where you just can't get it right at this age, it is hard to believe that there's going to be a turnaround around the corner.
2: Yeah. If you remember uh, back in the preseason, he was uh sitting out practices sitting out preseason games because of of a ham- the hamstring i don't yeah. know if it's one or or both or whatever but it's it's a it's a, a constant problem a nagging issue for him and I, those sort of things you know i'm i'm not a doctor uh as hmm, you, as wow. you might know but am i am i fired now for not being a doctor you actually
1: i was on your resume
2: whoops <laughs> uh <laughs> well i am, i am not a doctor but i would say that uh, getting older is probably not better for your hamstrings.
1: No, no. I can attest, actually. Uh, I can attest to that. But the only reason I'm just a little leery to count out someone who, I mean, you want to talk about an actual generational talent with Julio Jones. And sometimes those guys have one or two more surprises left in them. But, yeah, I, I, it just seems like we're at the end for Julio, which, is I mean, one of the best, truly one of the best to ever do it. And even yeah. in, like, this passing inflated era, it was clear like he wasn't a product of his era. He was no. just absolutely amazing.
2: yeah it, it's uh, I, I can um, I can tell how dominant he was by my dad's reaction to Julio Jones because my dad <laughs> doesn't really know anybody outside like the biggest you know the biggest names, the Brady type names and and uh, but he's like he he knows Julio and he's always he's always asking where's Julio? where's Julio? and so I I, I think that yeah he is certainly a generational receiver. I don't want to take anything away from him in that regard. Just the the most, you know, Megatron-type dominance in his prime.
1: It was. And I guess real quick, I feel like we don't have enough information on A.J. Brown, but, I mean, we're playing him no matter what. If yeah. he's active Thursday night, right?
2: Yes, right. for sure. Um, yeah, we, we don't have an update as of this recording. Tuesday afternoon. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that we will get uh, something to, later on Tuesday, definitely by Wednesday morning.
1: A vaccinated Travis Kelsey finds himself on the COVID-19 list with five days to get cleared for Sunday's game against the Steelers, Denny. I, there's really not a whole lot to talk about here, actually. I'm not really quite sure why I put this on the agenda. <laughs> but, uh, like, <laughs> well, what, is our gut that Kelsey's going to play, folks? I'm, what's, I'm, what's the deal? Uh,
2: I'm personally more worried about Harrison Butker, who's also oh on the COVID-19 God. list. But uh, I guess we can't talk about that here. So, uh, it, well, Kelsey, yeah, I mean... Kelsey's absence would open up uh, a lot of targets for you know Tyreek Hill presumably maybe Byron Pringle sees a few more as the default number three uh, pass catcher you know with with Kelsey in the lineup I guess Kelsey out of lineup would would make him uh, you know a, a little better play. Um, I think mostly this is that would be like, you know, a pretty significant downgrade for Patrick Mahomes, honestly.
1: It would be hard to survive for Patrick Mahomes, because as we know, they just can't establish that third weapon. And as we're gonna talk about in the second half of the show, running past funnel defenses, the Steelers, this is an extreme run yeah. funnel, especially this past month, not to give away your thing. But like I think maybe the pivot will be you're not trying to make up for that in the passing game and to fully commit for a week to Clyde Edwards E and Darrell Williams maybe even Derek Gore, because there's just going to be no way. The Chiefs won't be able to scheme around no right. Travis Kelsey. If he doesn't play, that third weapon just is not there. It's, it's really interesting, the Chiefs. we, we finally get, The way we got vintage Chiefs finally last week was just like, they ultimately like, screw it. We're throwing yeah. to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill every single play. Stop it if you can. No one can stop it. And, yeah, I, I think the pivot is going to be not more targets for Byron Pringle, Nicole Hardman, Josh Gordon, and just maybe actually committing to the run game against the run funnel Steelers. We're almost to that portion of the show, but Danny Michael Carter quickly returned from injured reserve in week 15 Was to a committee with Tevin Coleman. He out touched Tevin Coleman just nine to eight Coleman out gained him 50 to 20. Carter did win the snap war Carter. Yeah. Carter, you Carters,
2: uh,
1: <laughs> But is this just, is it too much to trust Carter as an RB3 for the fantasy semifinals after a pretty inconclusive returning performance? It's against the Jacksonville Jaguars this week, if that helps.
2: Yeah, I mean, his usage was really discouraging uh, after, you know, a a full week really of Jets coaches, including Robert Sala saying, yeah, he's, you know, he's ready to go. He's going to get his. Didn't happen. It turns out, you know, maybe it was a conditioning thing. He's been out for a long time you know it's in Miami so i don't i'm not sure of the weather but i'm guessing it, it, it was
1: it appeared to be balmy
2: yeah so you know the, those things do factor in and it, and as fantasy analysts it's hard to it's hard to say oh yes it was definitely the heat or definitely the uh the layoff uh conditioning but it it, it could have been but yeah no it's um it, even with ty johnson inactive uh he didn't get like a fantasy worthy workload against the Dolphins and I I think ma- managers should look elsewhere if they can I, I don't know if they can honestly at this point
1: yeah I mean it is the Jags so there's the Jags have been a pretty stout run defense even that appears to kind of be falling away for Jacksonville now so if you're in a desperate situation you can kind of cling to the fact that he still played more snaps than Tevin Coleman even though it have been such a long layoff and it's a good matchup but it's just kind of like you're just banking on talent which you know there are worse ideas when you're like choosing between kind of like imperfect plays but yeah the setup isn't good with Michael car you're betting on talent which again you might not have a better option yeah and so like you could it could pay off but it's like a talent bet and not a setup bet. yeah yeah Michael Carter
2: it was also kind of like a low-key good matchup for for Carter I know he didn't get that full workload or anything but Um, Since week 11, Miami has the third highest or is allowing the third highest rushing success rate. Uh, So it's not like Miami has been clamping down on uh, on running backs.
1: You're talking about the Miami weather in December, by the way, reminded me kind of one of the NFL's down low traditions for a while was the Patriots going to Miami in December and losing.
2: (laughs) Wait, no, you mean September.
1: No no, it, well, it it happened in December a few times too. Oh. They you actually right. It was more of a meme in September. Well because they, they, they
2: what, the NFL forced the Bills and the <laughs> and the Patriots to go sweat their butts off yeah. in Miami in September in early September usually, right? And then they made the Dolphins go to snowy Buffalo and snowy New England in That's December right. and get their butts kicked all over the field. Trust as a former Dolphins fan, I yeah, remember that. No,
1: it was more of a meme. You're right, in September, but there were a few years. There's one one of the Adam Gase years in particular, they came there and it was like the Dolphins Super Bowl. Like they were just teeing off on yes. Tom Brady. They won Uh-oh. the game yes. like nineteen to seven or something. Right. And you know, they were high five, like they were just going nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think that happened once or twice. And I always found it funny to like send them down there in the and but yeah, right, it is a much bigger advantage <laughs> in September Yes. than it is in December. We'll be right back to talk run and pass funnel defenses.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. Learn more at marines.com.
1: Give the gift of NBC Sports Edge Plus this holiday season. Get 15% off annual subscriptions when you use the promo code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. This offer turns to coal on December 31st. So visit NBCSportsEdge.com slash edge plus today. And remember, all of our premium tools for fantasy, DFS, and betting are included on one low edge plus, one low price for an edge plus subscription. We are headed down the backstretch of the NFL season and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play, so predict what will happen between the Washington football team and the Cowboys this week for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com predictor. Now we are pivoting to Denny's favorite topic, pass and run funnel defenses. Absolutely. With the focus being on how certain teams may have changed over the past month and what that might mean for the final two weeks of the fantasy playoffs. And Denny, we're going to start with the run funnel teams, not to give away the team, but we're going to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) And just take us through the run funnelness of the Pittsburgh
2: Steelers. So just uh, to preface this, uh, th- this analysis can certainly be actionable. An example would be, you know, seeing w- what an extreme pass funnel defense the Ravens had become uh, and b- being a little more confident in Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, last week I wrote him up in my target Dakota column as a potential beneficiary of the fact that teams a can't run against Baltimore and B do quite well through the air. Uh, so it, it, it certainly can be actionable, not, not all the time. Another example of this would be last week trusting the Broncos uh, receivers against a massive pass funnel Bengals defense that uh, didn't work out. Uh, but uh, yeah, on onto on run funnel. So this, this means that like a team like the Steelers are giving up uh, the, the, the majority of their yards on the ground. Uh, the Steelers are the fourth most extreme run funnel over the past month. Um, over the course of the season, they're the third most extreme. Uh, of course, Kansas City gets them in Week 16. Travis Kelsey's you know status is 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 going to weigh heavily here. Uh, but I I would say that this is a very potentially very good thing for Clyde Edwards-Helaire as the primary you know early down back uh, for KC. And
1: even if Travis Kelsey plays, I mean, I think you're looking at 25 to 30 carries from the Chiefs here, who. Maybe be a little fatigued after all the passing in week 15. It just hasn't been what they've been doing in the second half of the season either. So I think even if Kelsey plays, we're going to get a pretty, pretty run dominant game plan. And then for week 17, the fantasy finals, we're getting the Cleveland Browns against the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. aka Nick Chubb, could be minting fantasy trophies. Because the, the, the Steelers, I mean, this is, they just been, they've yeah. like gone off the deep end, basically. Like they are just getting, destroyed annihilated on the ground and it's like it's like a legit thing like this is one i think you can you can kind of bank on where like they just don't have answers on the ground
2: right now right so if you think the houston defense is bad against the run you'd be right uh houston and pittsburgh are basically the same in expected points added per rush over the past four five weeks over the past five weeks so yeah you're right i mean they they are one of the like bottom dwellers as far as Defending the run. So unless game script gets wacky here, which it likely won't, um, I I see CEH, I think has a, maybe a a sneaky high uh, ceiling. And you can't say that often about CEH. you can't. No.
1: And Denny, who's our next and why is it good news for Ronald Jones? Yes,
2: man. It's such good news for Rojo rojo the goat uh
1: colloquially known i can't ever say that word by the way so don't don't cancel me for not being able to pronounce colloquially no no
2: one's ever been able to pronounce this okay uh carolina is the ninth most extreme run funnel defense over the past four weeks they're the second most extreme run funnel on the season of course ronald jones is set up you know (laughs) The spot couldn't be better. It couldn't. The bucks. No, it actually couldn't. No, right. The the bucks are huge favorites. I I know. I just finished saying like 15 minutes ago that the bucks. Yeah, yeah. I think you uh, declared their season over. No, no, no. No, they're gonna win this game. I mean, come on, jeez. Yeah. I mean, if they if they lose to the to these Panthers. They need to disband. The well, their Bucks. season
1: would be over, and they did just lose to these
2: Saints. So I guess anything's possible. Uh, what? Well, no, the, but the, come on. The, the Saints are like the 85 Bears compared to the Panthers. Yeah, that's true. The, the well, Panthers. the Panthers'
1: pass defense is pretty good. So they are going to shut down. I mean, not going to shut down. They're going to give the, the Bucks like real trouble through the air, especially if they're trying to work in all the, this new cast of characters. So it just makes all the sense in the world to just hammer Ronald Jones
2: yeah. on the ground. Yeah, I, I, I just I think that his uh, the the path to success for Ronald Jones here is quite wide, is what I would say.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, frankly, my initial initial ranks I do have Rojo ranked as an RB one. I think it's the RB twelve. Let's go, so like the lowest end RB one, but it just feels like an RB one setup for Ronald Jones this week. So you can be excited if you because Ronald Jones had gotten to the point where he's returned to a lot of waiver wires. So yeah. I think it's a situation yeah where clearly you're kind of going all out for any like anybody with a pulse at this point. But if you have any fab remaining, which you probably don't, you shouldn't if you're a good manager, uh, go all in on Ronald yes. Jones. And by the way, I mean, there, you can be a good manager and have fab left. I'm well, sorry.
2: With a, with a with a really good week here for Ronald Jones, my 11th place best ball team yeah, well, will get yeah. all the way. We'll get up to ninth, maybe eighth. Game-changing, game-changing, yeah, game-changing.
1: But By the way, week 17, the Run Funnel Panthers – Get Alvin Kamara in the New Orleans oh, Saints. So
2: That's that's another oh, good one.
1: Hopefully Alvin Kamara's cashing checks after he maybe got you eliminated
2: in week 15. So Yeah, uh, hopefully he survived that. Tough scene.
1: Yeah. Who, who is our final run funnel defense, Denny?
2: Yeah, uh, final is uh, the Bills. Second most extreme run funnel over the past four weeks. They are the third most extreme run funnel on the year. Uh, we saw what the Patriots did to them in the snow game a few weeks ago. There's no reason to think that the Patriots... Are going to do much, I would say much different. You know, obviously they're not going to be three pass attempts. There could be upwards of ten pass attempts.
1: I think they right? might quintuple their pass attempts to eight.
2: Yeah. But but it's still going to be run heavy. Um, and and I think that that's that could be very good uh, if Damian Harris is out again. Obviously, Romani Stevenson becomes a must play in all formats, you, despite, you know, he was scripted out last week and, and, and some, that happens, that happens. That's that's part of why running back can be such a frustrating position for fantasy. Um But, but don't, don't be too discouraged here because uh, it's hard to imagine a better spot for him.
1: It is, it is weird though. I wonder, I wonder if it will be a simple of no Damien Harris, if they stick with the approach or if they try to like kind of take the bills by surprise and maybe like, Really hammer like the short passing attack or something, or kind of lean in on like, gadget plays, maybe with Jonu Smith. Uh, you know, I don't know, who, else, who else could do a gadget play on the Patriots? I think Kendrick Bourne has attempted.
2: A oh, yeah, passes. yeah, he's oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, so I I do wonder what the Pats game plan will be if there's no Damian Harris, where it might be too obvious that they're just going to try to run Reminder Stevens, so they might kind of take everyone by surprise. But it, if Damian Harris plays, I mean, like, I can't see any reason that it won't be a forty rush attempt game for the New England because the Bills they haven't proven that they can stop the run. It's it's kind of like their Achilles heel right, right now, and power rushing teams are just running all over the Bills.
2: Exactly, e- even even Brandon Bolden could could see some u- decent usage um, if you know if the Patriots get game script on their side and, and Harris is out, obviously.
1: And so, yeah, the Bills have got the Patriots this yep. week. And then week 17, Cordero Patterson, the, the final triumph of Cordero Patterson. He'll be winning fantasy leagues against the – or either that or he'll be rushing like nine times for 14 yards. He seems and, to know, be getting a little
2: sleepy. E- either one. He, it was a great run for it, – which true. It was
1: a very uh, – seemingly hard-to-sustain run that he just kept sustaining. So, yeah, finally getting a little sleepy the past few weeks here. Yeah. But Cordero, if you're listening – Uh, You got a good matchup in week 17.
2: You you know, you know, it's funny. Uh, I I did a blurb last week about Arthur Smith saying, um, you know, we're scaling back CPAT's usage and people were shocked and appalled by it. Guys, it had been happening for a month before that. Like, like he, he had been getting fortunate with touchdowns, whatever, but come on. He's only playing like half the snaps every week.
1: And it's really frustrating, but it might've honestly been a necessity because, he's never handled anywhere close to this type of workload. And he also hurt his ankle. He's been playing through an ankle issue. So maybe even though the Falcons are kind of the most in depressing, most depressing in the hunt team, I think they mm-hmm. still get make it onto the end, the hunt graphics when we're discussing the playoffs, they know they're not a playoff team. And maybe I think there's kind of like, it was like a humanitarian uh, reason <laughs> like taking a little easy on Cordero Patterson yeah. and trying to not just drive his body into the ground. Danny, we're, we're on to the pass funnels. Who is yep. our pass funnel defense?
2: Uh, first pass funnel I want to mention is the Titans are the Titans. I don't know. They're the most extreme. They're the most extreme pass funnel over the past four weeks. Second most extreme on the season. Teams really, really attack them through the air. And for good reason, uh, the 49ers get them in week 16. And I just wanted to briefly mention that. Um, when the Niners two weeks ago played the pass-funnel Bengals defense, uh, who are pretty good against the run, they shifted accordingly and uh, threw more than they usually do, and it ended in huge days. Well, a huge day for for Kittle and uh, and a a solid day for Brandon Ayuk.
1: I do feel like that was kind of a second-half adjustment in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or maybe they did try to establish in the first half.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: Uh, but so they did make the adjustment. I guess better late than never. A huge variable here is Elijah Mitchell, who seemingly he's like in a maybe kind of a DeAndre Swift situation. Where it seems like every week he he gets instead sort of closer to returning like a little further. But unlike the Lions, 49ers are really in the thick of it. I'm sure they're doing everything they can to get Elijah Mitchell back. His presence, if there's no Elijah Mitchell this week, it would make a lot of sense to kind of try to exploit the Titans pass funnel. If there is Elijah Mitchell, I could see them maybe just trying to like out
2: execute again. Yeah, he he'll, he's going to be a game time decision. By the way, on Thursday.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. I keep keep forgetting the game is Thursday. Wow. Yeah, it's a tough break for Elijah Mitchell.
2: But, but it is. Um, yeah,
1: they they've got so maybe pass final defense. You're saying maybe Debo
2: Samuel will catch more than five passes. So. No, I don't think so. I don't. I, the way that he's being used, I I, I think that. He's primarily a ball carrier at this point, and he,
1: he led the NFL in receiving, I believe. And then over the past like four weeks, has had like 60 yards it's, receiving. It's quite it, something.
2: the 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 Kyle Shanahan galaxy brain has reached new levels,
1: and actually, really has. I mean, he's been great as a runner, but uh, he was pretty amazing as a wide receiver. <laughs>
2: <And> Kyle Shanahan <laughs> saw the most effective receiver in the NFL and said, "Guess what?" You're not catching passes anymore. Not in my offense. You're going to be a running back. Yeah, you're a I change mean, just, of pace. Running back is just, very that interesting. Brain, the size of the brain must be just tremendous. He's been so
1: effective in the role, but yeah, you're, you're giving him fewer touches this <laughs> week. It is it's very, very
2: strange, uh, but
1: that's Kyle Shannon, Who is our second pass funnel defense, Denny?
2: Seahawks third most extreme pass funnel over the past four weeks on the season. They are the eighth most extreme pass funnel defense. The, well, the Bears get them in week sixteen, yeah. and you know I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, that, uh, is that good? Is that nah, bad? Yeah, I, it's man. hard to say. Darnell Mooney maybe, and then nobody else. God, the Bears look so bad on
1: Monday. They are. I mean, this anytime the whole stadium is basically just like, th- like they, yeah. the stadium was basically just like in unison, like one organism, <laughs> almost like like throbbing, and just like their <laughs> demand. For Matt Nagy to be removed as head coach. Yes. Yeah. There was history made, by the way, on the Monday Night Football broadcast, where he was very polite in the way he went about it. But Brian Greasy became the first announcer in football history to advocate for a coach to be fired. Oh, and really? He didn't come out and that. quite. Say, he didn't say his name, but he kept talking about how the Bears needed to be like shook up and like they needed a change. And he was being very polite, but also very unmistakable in that he was calling for a coaching change
2: in Chicago. Well, know. yeah, that uh, the, uh, apparently the only reason the bears haven't made the move already is because of precedent because the Chicago bears have never fired a coach in season. And, and, and they act like anybody cares about that. Nobody cares. Really? Quite literally not a single soul in America. cares. First of all, that. no one knows. And then, and then most importantly, no one cares. Fans would weigh, would much rather see their franchise quarterback, rookie quarterback, play under bill laser for the rest of the season it should have happened eight weeks ago it's just a travesty and
1: there'll be people weeping in the street in chicago if and when this happens so if you're listening bears ownership it's time then we'll end the show with our final yeah pass funnel defense who is it
2: Bengals, uh 11th most extreme pass funnel over the f- past four weeks that's not you know too extreme, although I just it, are work. you really
1: a funnel? It was only the 11th most, man. I mean, think we're getting into semantics, but
2: on the season of the fifth most extreme pass funnel, uh, and and uh, if, this is kind of thrown off a little bit, um, by the Broncos last week, um, having some success on the ground against Cincinnati. Anyway, the Ravens get them. I don't know if Lamar is going to be back, uh, but you know, Tyler Huntley proved. Capable of getting the ball to his pass catchers, especially obviously to Mark Andrews. Uh, I I want to say this is good for Marquise Brown, or potentially good for Marquise Brown, but the guy has like a 4.7 yards per uh, catch uh, over over the past few weeks. So I I don't I don't really know what's happening with his usage. If there's an injury or something, but he's really not seeing those downfield uh, targets.
1: It has been strange, but yeah, the Bengals are past funnel and. The Ravens, like, against all odds, have become, like, a pass-first offense, even if it's Lamar Jackson, kind of almost like the Bills, where, like, Lamar is still running a ton, but they just don't have the horses at running back, basically, and it's a pass-first offense. So even if – especially if Tyler Huntley's out there, I think it's going to be a pass-first focused attack. I mean, Tyler Huntley's also a dual threat, but I think it'll be – he's maybe, like, a slightly more, like, accurate check down passer than Lamar. I think they'll really try to take advantage – of that pass final defense. And then if the big gun, Lamar's back, even though he's going to be making big plays in the ground. Yeah. I think it's be like a 10 target day for both Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. And hopefully Lamar uh, rest will have done him well too.
2: Yeah. And uh, just as far as how good Cincinnati is against the run uh, they allow the, the, the eighth lowest uh, expected points added per rush um, this season. So they, they, they're good. They're good against the run and the the Ravens don't run the ball very well. Anyway,
1: they do not, which is crazy. Not something you would have expected to hear in August before each of their top 14 running backs tore their ACLs in the preseason. So tough break for the Ravens and tough break. For us, is that we don't get to talk about football anymore. The show's over. (laughs) Um, But we'll be back on Wednesday with the first of our two Week 16 preview shows with myself, Kyle Dvorak, and Patrick Corain. Denny will join us for Part 2 on Thursday with John Diggle and Matt Straub. Check out Denny's Target Decoder. Check out all of our great stuff on the site. For Denny, I'm Pat. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?